0: Thanks for tuning in to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our hope for you is that you would feel the welcome home of Christ wherever you're listening from today. We pray that this message encourages you in your faith journey to be with Jesus and become like him for the sake of the world. Let's dive in. I, uh, I read recently about a study. It's really an experiment that was conducted by Dartmouth College. So years ago, they, uh, they asked for some volunteers and they got dozens upon dozens of volunteers for this experiment. And the experiment was this. They were gonna bring in a professional makeup artist and they were gonna put this big, nasty, realistic scar on the face of all of the participants and then send them out onto the campus to gauge and record how people responded. So these dozens upon dozens of volunteers would come in and they would sit in this makeup chair and this makeup artist with this like really elaborate scar on their face. And at the end they would even, you know, show them in a mirror, like just how grotesque it was. And then without them knowing the makeup artist said to each volunteer right before they sent them out, like, Oh, I just have to touch this up real quick. Without them knowing the makeup artist would then take the scar off completely and then send them out into the campus. So now dozens upon dozens of these volunteers are wandering the campus, and they were all to come back and report how people treated them differently because of this scar on their face, a scar which was not actually there at all. Almost 100% of them came back and said, you know, it was because of the scar. I could tell that people were staring at it. People were so much ruder, so much more mean. In fact, I think some people were subtly even like talking about it, thinking I wouldn't notice people absolutely responded to me differently because of this scar, a scar that wasn't there at all. I say that to say this, that you live out what you believe about yourself, whether it's true or not. You will live out what you believe about yourself, whether or not it's true. What you believe about yourself or about God, about ultimate reality, about why we're here, that will affect Intrinsically, how you live, whether it's true or not, or put a different way, identity drives activity. Identity drives activity. What you actually believe to be true will inform and drive how you live out in the world. So today we're beginning a short three-week series, and we're calling it The Lies We Live. It's about confronting the lies that we buy into all the time that keep us from actually living out of our true identity. Pete Scazzaro, who led this church in in New York City years ago, uh, wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and in this book, he tells a story of nearly losing his marriage, his church, and himself because of these lies that can so easily derail us. He said it this way. He says, the vast majority of us go to our graves without knowing who we are. We unconsciously live someone else's life or at least someone else's expectations for us. This does violence to ourselves, our relationship with God, and ultimately to others. Does that resonate with anyone else? Anyone else ever felt the pressure or the weight to try and live up to someone else's expectations of you? In fact, so many of us, our identities are so wrapped up in what we do that when we don't have something to do, we don't even know what to do with ourselves. I found this quote a couple days ago from WebMD. People who retire at 55 are 89% more likely to die within 10 years than those who retire at 65. When we don't have our careers, our jobs, our titles, whatever that fill in that blank for you is, literally our physiology is affected. Who am I? if I'm not this, if I'm not doing that. So we're gonna spend the next three weeks all in Luke chapter four, by the way, so get comfortable there, unpacking these lies. So we're gonna read the whole passage today, but I want to just start quickly with verse one. Luke four, verse one, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So if you stop right there, that actually sounds kind of nice, right? Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit, and then he's led to the beach for some R&R. Like one of those drinks with the umbrellas, right? Sounds kind of relaxing, and yet, as we learn, he's led directly into affliction and conflict. If you are in Christ, if you consider yourself a Christ follower, do not assume that you are safe, that we are safe from affliction or conflict. In fact, Jesus tells us pretty bluntly, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You can take heart because I've overcome the world, but don't mistake. Hardships will come. The passage goes on, verse 2, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Note, this isn't just a day. This is a season of affliction, a season of hardship. The devil said to him, If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Life of the Beloved, Henry Nouwen, which by the way, if you've not read, I highly recommend it. But in this book, Henry Nouwen suggests that the majority of people identify themselves through the question, who am I, through three main lies. Here are the lies. One, I am what I do. This is about competency, achievements, awards, grades, whatever. Second lie, I am what I have, This is about power, Status, family, skills, money, possessions. And the third lie is I am what others say about me. This is about popularity, reputation, or praise. So, over the next three weeks, we're going to look at this passage in Luke and these three lies that Henry Nouwen sort of articulates and observes as sort of a template to better understand who we actually are in Christ. Now the story of Jesus' temptations in the wilderness will kind of correspond to these three different lies. And what we discover is that the very temptations that Jesus faced were based on these same three lies. So today we're gonna talk about the lie that I am what I do or what I'm gonna call the performance lie. The lie that I am only the sum of my accomplishments. I am only as valuable as what I can produce or achieve. And before we go any further, just a quick note. Um, I am not preaching from an area of strength here. The lie that I am only as valuable as what I can achieve is something that I I have battled with my my entire life. I, I can so easily fall into the lie that I am only the sum of my accomplishments, what I can achieve. And I think it's... I think it's kind of understandable because like, almost immediately, from the point that we are born, we are measured by what we do. Think about it. You're born as a baby. That, that line's a little redundant. We're all born as babies. No one's Benjamin Buttoning, I'm assuming, right? You're born as a baby, and you get maybe like one or two years where just existing is enough, right? But then instantly, it's like preschool, and it's about milestones. It's about how, like I'm not proud to admit this, but when our firstborn was born, Owen, like I didn't think I'd be one of those milestone dads. Like almost instantly, I was freaking out about it. like oh, he should be hitting the sitting up on his own milestone. Anyone else kind of like that? Like oh, he should, he should be saying mama and dada. He's only saying mama. I didn't need to call the doctor. Or something's something's not right. Almost instantly, we begin to measure each other. what we do, what we accomplish. But then you're in high school and now it's all about your GPA and then your ACT and your SAT scores. Then it's about what schools will or won't accept you. Then it becomes about marital status, or career choice, or income level, or the titles you hold. And then about midway through your career, it becomes about how much you have in your 401K and how well you're set for retirement. Perform, 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 perform. Many of us have bought, and I would argue, are currently buying into the lie that I am what I do. The sum of my identity is what I can accomplish, what I can achieve. And can we be honest? If if we're living into that lie, it's exhausting. It can wear you out. Why? Because there will always be someone smarter, faster, or more talented than you. It's impossible to keep up. Some of us right now, maybe the image of a treadmill is running through your mind. Like it just keeps getting faster and faster and faster and it never seems to satisfy. So much of our self-worth is dependent upon what we do, how we perform whether or not we measure up to others or even our own expectations. Even people, I would argue, who would say they have performed well or exceptionally, still feel like they don't measure up. Does anyone have something? You've accomplished something that 10 years ago you thought, if I had that thing, then I would be happy. Anyone ever told yourself that lie? Once I accomplish this, then I'll be at peace. Anyone found that out to not be true? I thought this title, this salary amount, this square footage, this many followers whatever it is, I thought this would quiet the noise of my soul, and it hasn't. So today we're going to look at just the first five verses of Luke chapter 4. A quick word, we've talked about this before, Luke was a doctor, so he writes with uh, incredible precision. And scholars talk about like even the Greek with which he wrote was like so highbrow, like really profound, beautiful writing. He's the only non-Jewish author in the New Testament. And he wasn't an eyewitness to these events, but he utilizes eyewitnesses with insane precision. And here's how he begins in Luke chapter 4 again. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. A couple of observations that might be easy to miss. First of all, this journey into the wilderness and encounter with the devil takes place at the very beginning of Jesus's earthly ministry. So he's about 30 years old, and up until this point, he's honestly lived in relative obscurity. He's done nothing of real significance, he has not made a name for himself. And if you, by the way, want to learn any more of that, uh, uh, Alicia Brick Cole wrote this brilliant book called Anonymous where she takes a, a deeper dive into what it means to be a person of obscurity. Oftentimes when we say we want to be more like Jesus, we're not usually referring to his obscurity. And yet it's in those seasons, it's in those quiet places that I believe God often does his best work in us and through us. But as Jesus prepares to carry out his mission in the world, he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So let me let me just say this to some of us who are maybe in a season, a wilderness season. A wilderness is not a sign that God is not leading. Sometimes we assume though, if God's leading me, then it will always be thriving and everything will be up to the right and everything will just be like a walk in the park. We we see here in the ministry of Jesus, he's full of the Holy Spirit and he's led where to a wilderness. To a season of testing, of difficulty. Because it's in the wilderness that our roots go down deepest. Just because you're in a wilderness season does not necessarily mean that God is not leading. The second thing to notice is how long the devil tempts Jesus. Luke tells us that it's a full 40 days, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but like in my head, the devil's not there for the full 40. Like maybe it's because I grew up, you know, watching Sunday school cartoons and VeggieTales or whatever, but I kind of pictured it was like 40 days and then every once in a while the enemy would pop in and be like, hey, it's me, the devil again. Can I talk to you? Like anyone else kind of have that depiction? Just me, I have a problem. I just, I'm saying that, that detail is so overwhelming to me for 40 days in the desert, and the devil's just in his ear, in his head, nagging him. A 40-day battle. Can you even imagine? I think that's important for us to sit with today because if you're anything like me, sometimes Jesus can can feel a little hard to relate to. Sometimes, if I'm really honest, I see Jesus as sort of like superhuman, right? And it's it's easy for me to like understand his divinity, but it can be really difficult for me to like resonate with his. Humanity, but this is a dangerous assumption, not only because it's not true, but because if we see him that way, we might dismiss the example that I think he's making for us. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says it this way, for we do not have a high priest, referring to Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus faced the same pressures, the same challenges that many of us face Today, He was vulnerable to them, just as we are. So let me just ask you this question. If you were out in the wilderness for 40 days with no food, how do you think you'd be feeling? The answer is hungry. I love that Luke includes that. He's like, he hasn't eaten, and the dude's hungry. Maybe even hangry, but that word wasn't invented yet. If we go back to the story in Luke, we see that's exactly how Jesus felt. He was hungry and physically weak, and it's in this weakened state that the devil comes after Jesus, in a very specific way. Verse three, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. This to me, I think is such an important principle for us to grapple with. The enemy will often hit us hardest where we feel weakest. Does that resonate with anyone? He's been fasting in the wilderness and what's the first temptation here? Food. He's like, you're hungry. I know it, you know it. Why don't you remedy the situation? The devil challenges him to perform a miracle. And I actually don't think it's the miracle that's the problem. It's the motive. The, the devil is going after something more than just bread. He's going after Jesus' identity. Put, your, put yourself in Jesus' shoes again for just a brief moment. He hasn't done anything of any real significance. He hasn't healed anyone. He hasn't taught anyone. Like no one's following him yet, right? He's supposed to be on mission to save the world. And yet here he is, weak, weak. And alone in the desert, the devil is challenging him to prove that he's somebody by doing something significant. Has anyone ever felt that temptation? Prove that you have value by doing something significant. Prove that you have worth by performing and achieving and striving. You can notice it even in how he words it. If you are the son of God. Some commentators argue that the word if is maybe better translated since. But either way. If you're the son of God, since you're the son of God, if you really are somebody, prove it. If you're the promised one, why hasn't your father provided for you? Why are you out here in the desert, weak and hungry and alone? It's the same temptation in the garden, by the way, back in Genesis. Did, did God really say that? No, 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 no. God's trying to keep good things from you. No, yeah, you can't trust who God is or what he says. That's that's the whisper of the enemy. That's what this lie, this performance lie is all about. Challenging us to prove ourselves. It taunts us with questions like, what have you really achieved? How have you proved your significance? How have you demonstrated your value? Even, Even when we do feel like we are succeeding, the whisper, the lie, the nagging thought still can be, what have you done for God lately? And I want to say this as clearly but also as pastorally as I possibly can. You are far more than the best or worst thing you've ever done. You are far more than your greatest achievement or your greatest failure or the thing that was done to you. You are far more than this achievement lie that we so easily buy into. Much like Jesus, the devil attacks us here because we are vulnerable to these lies. I love what theologian N.T. Wright said about this reality in the Christian life. He said, every Christian will be tested at the points which matter most in her or his life and vocation. It's a central part of the Christian vocation to learn to recognize the voices that whisper attractive lies, to distinguish them from the voice of God, and to use the simple but direct weapons provided in Scripture to rebut the lies with truth. I am what I do is a lie. It's a lie that many of us have bought into and are buying into right now, but it's a lie And because we buy into it, we fall to the temptation to always perpetually try to prove ourselves. So I wanna wanna conduct like a little bit of an experiment right now. Um, If you're in Columbia, we'll begin passing these down the aisles right now, but here in Spring Hill, I want you to reach into the seat back in front of you. And if you're in the front row, just reach behind, don't weird them out, but grab, I want you to pull out, there's a name tag there, one of those stickers that say, hello, I am. I want you to, everyone to get one right now. Those stickers that say, hello, I am. And then I want you to get a pen or a marker or whatever you can get access to. And I want to, I want to conduct a little experiment here. I want you to imagine that you walked into a party and like a lot of parties, you know, there's a table full of these, hello, I am stickers, right? Or maybe it's a, a mixer or a networking thing, whatever. We've all seen the stickers. So you're, you're instructed to take one of these stickers, but before you enter the party, you have to fill it out. The only rule is you can't write your name. Many of us will instinctually, hello, I am, and then our name. I want you to take a pen or marker or crayon, whatever you have. I want you to write down, and not like a Sunday school answer, by the way. How would you fill that in? Hello, I am. Some of you will be inclined to write your greatest achievements. Hello, I am a CEO. Hello, I am an entrepreneur. Some of you are likely to list maybe your greatest failure, hello. I'm an addict, hello, I'm a divorcee. And still others, some of you won't write something that you did that was great or not so great. You would write down something that was done to you. Hello, I have survived great abuse, great trauma. Maybe for you, I'm an orphan. I don't know where I come from. I want you to actually write that down. How would you fill that out? Hello, I am. Hold on to that. We're going to come back to that in a second. Here's how Jesus responds to this temptation, this first temptation from the devil. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8 here, but I want us to really wrestle with this. What empowered Jesus to resist this lie? He knew scripture and he knew who he was. If we back up to Luke chapter 3, we actually see something really fascinating. Luke chapter 3, verse 21, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. He's saying, you are my son. I love you. I am pleased with you. That is your identity. That is your worth. And again, remember, Jesus hasn't done much of note yet. Not performed a single miracle, not delivered a single sermon. No one's following him. The affirmation that he is deeply loved and valued by his father is not based on his performance. It comes before he does anything. I would argue it's the foundation of Jesus' self-understanding. So when Jesus finds himself in a desert place in the wilderness, being tempted by the lie that you are only what you do, he's able to resist because he knows who he is. He knows where his identity comes from. Pastor and author John Ortberg says it this way, identity and acceptance come before achievement and work. Identity and acceptance come before achievement in ministry. In other words, achievement is not done to demonstrate identity. Before you do or accomplish anything, you are loved. You are loved by the God of the universe. Put another way, God's love for you is not based on your performance for him. Some of you need to really sit with this today. Because you've bought into the lie somewhere that God will only love me as long as I keep all the plates spinning. As long as this quarter is better than last quarter, as long as I'm always achieving or accomplishing, even for the kingdom, even for the church, God's love for you is not based on your performance for Him. And that's really good news. That's a gospel of grace. And it's not. It's not that we don't work. We see this again in Genesis, something called the cultural mandate, that we are invited to work and cultivate and dream and organize. We are to join God in the work of healing the world. But this shift is important. We don't work for God's affection. We work from it. We don't work for God's affection, doing all of these good things to get him to love us. But because in Christ, we already have everything we need. We don't work for God's affection, but we most certainly work from it, knowing that in Christ, we are fully seen, fully known, and fully loved. You are an image bearer with work to do, not a work doer with an image to maintain. That distinction is so important. Performance did not hold Jesus's identity. His identity was already established. He is God's son who was already well-pleased, and here's, like at the core of it, here's the really difficult, crazy, hard-to-believe truth. God in Christ gives us that same identity. In fact, the phrase most often used to describe Christians, to describe our identity, are two simple words. In Christ. That is the most used phrase to describe our identity in the New Testament. It's used 216 times in Christ. Here's one of my favorites, 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Many of you know this verse really, really well, but you've actually believed it says, um, the new is on its way. The old is gone, the new is on layaway. God's waiting for me to meet him halfway. What does it say? The old is gone, the new is where? Here. Right now, here in Christ. In Christ, your identity is not achieved. It's received openly, freely. When we could do nothing to earn or deserve or merit God's favor or affection, he comes after us. He pursues us again and again and again and calls us children of God. The Apostle Paul, writing to followers of Jesus in the church of Galatia says it this way, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave. You get to opt out of the rat race of always trying to perform or achieve. You're no longer a slave, but what? God's what? Child. God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And one of Jesus' closest friends is a man named John. I, I love that John, by the way, who describes himself in his gospels as the one Jesus loved, right? He's like, I could give you the accolades. I could give you the accomplishments. Here's what's most important about me. I'm the one Jesus loves. He says it this way, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become, what's the word? children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And here's why this is so important. There's a million reasons this is important. But in the midst of the darkest parts of our life, the brokenness, the heartache, the shame, there was a part of us that will always be drawn back to believing the lie that I am only the sum of my accomplishments. That the only way that we can save ourselves is to perform. And it's a lie. Now I know that for a lot of us, this idea of like separating our identity from our performance is like a really, really visceral one. I read a couple days ago that 15.4 million people in America were laid off in 2022. I know that for a lot of us right now hearing my voice, this, this is hitting uncomfortably close to home because you're having to confront for the first time, if I'm not doing this, I don't know who I am. If I don't have this title or this community or this job or whatever, then I don't, know, I don't know who I am. Maybe today is the day that you finally begin to surrender, that you loosen the white-knuckled grip of going to church on a Sunday, singing some songs, but still you're king of your kingdom. I would ask, how is that going for you? Is it leading to the kind of fulfillment and flourishing and rest that you've been longing for? You are not what you do. You are a beloved son or daughter of God. In fact, one of the the beautiful ways, one of the ways that I think that we live this out in real time is by something called the Sabbath. And we taught this back in February. I encourage you, you can go to bridge.tv slash practices and you can download the guide and listen to the sermons. But one of the things that I love about a weekly day to simply step back is that we intentionally cease from striving and God loves us just as much as he did before. Sabbath is this like weekly bodily reminder that I am not the sum of how much I can accomplish or earn or achieve. We simply... We cease from striving. We rest in God. And these practices, by the way, they don't, they don't make God love you, it's too late for that. But they help us live in and then live out the love of God, which is what we're all called to do. And a quick warning, by the way, if, if you wanna dip a toe in the waters of Sabbath or rhythms or margin at all, rest will feel like stress if busyness is how you medicate. If busyness is the thing that you always go to to try to fill that void, rest will feel very, very stressful for a season. And that's okay, and that's an indication maybe that there's an idol in your heart that needs to be demolished. Rest will often feel like stress if busyness and accomplishment and performance is how you medicate, It's how you get through the day. Regardless, if you are in Christ, Here's what God says about you. And I encourage you, write just one of these down. Don't try to capture all of these, but here's just a taste of what God says about you in Christ. He says, you are forgiven. You're no longer a slave to sin. You are a part of God's family. You are a child of God. You are accepted by Christ. You are free. You're a new creation. You are chosen holy and blameless before God. You are precious to him. You are irreplaceable. You are worth dying for. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are set apart. You are free from condemnation. You are made complete. You are God's masterpiece and you are loved. Friend, please hear me when I say this. Your pain may describe you, but it does not define you. Your failures may explain you, but they do not define you. Your successes may describe you, but they do not define you. So I, I want you to take out that name tag again, by the way. Take out that name tag and I want you to look at whatever thing you wrote down. Hello, I am. Whether it's good, bad, or ugly. And I want you to cross that out and just write the word loved. Hello, I am loved. Because what God says about you is the most important thing about you. And he says, you are loved. You are loved before you could do or achieve or accomplish anything. You are loved, you are loved, you are loved. I was thinking a couple weeks ago about when my firstborn was born. There's all sorts of uh, stress with becoming a new parent. And you know I was reading all the books and we we're trying to get all the gadgets and all that, but what we couldn't have been prepared for is that he would come about five weeks early. And that's, that's stressful regardless, but it's like really stressful as a, as a new parent. And uh, we rushed to the hospital and I, I couldn't believe it, all, it's all kind of a blur. And I remember when he was born, he was, he was so tiny. I actually have a picture to show how tiny he was. Like I remember thinking, are they supposed to be that small? <laughs> and in the chaos of just like doctors and nurses and yelling and screaming, they take him out of the room. And I remember being faced with this dilemma. Like I'm looking at my, my wife who has just been such a rock star. And I, they take my son somewhere else. And I kind of look at her like, what do I do? And it was like out of, you know, a Hollywood movie. She's like, go be with our son. <laughs> I was like, got it. So I like, I trace him down. They're taking him to the NICU because he's five weeks early. And as I got to the room, they're hooking him up to all of these wires. And stuff is going like up his nose and on his finger and his arm and his foot and his stomach and all these patches. And there's this whole like wall of machinery and I don't understand what it's doing. And it is honestly, I'm, I'm freaking out. And there's a brief moment just for like a minute or two when everyone had left the room and it was, it was just me and my boy and we, we hadn't even named them yet. And I don't, I don't know how to describe this. It was like in that moment, I looked at this tiny little human and I thought, I would give everything for you. I'd, I'd, never, I'd never felt that way, the hu- I mean, it was like instant. I mean, little freeloader hadn't mowed the grass once. <laughs> Not once, he hadn't accomplished or achieved or performed at all. And I thought, I would give anything for you. I feel like in that moment, what God said was, if that's how you feel about your kid, imagine how I feel about mine. I feel like there was the grace of God to give me just a glimpse, just like a taste. If that's how you feel with your kid, imagine how I feel about mine. Before you can do or accomplish or achieve anything, he looks at you and says, I I love you. I love without brim or bottom we remember that we do not work for God's affection. We work from it. In Christ, you are fully known and fully loved. You are not a second-class citizen in God's kingdom. And maybe in this season, if you're a single parent, you just got laid off, you're feeling overlooked, you've recently been injured or you're in jail and you're thinking, what could God possibly want with someone like me? He looks at you with the love of a father. He says you are loved, you are loved, you are loved. So let me just ask you this question. Where are you gonna ground your identity? In what you do? What you can achieve? How big your platform or your reach or your dollar amount is? Or in the God who relentlessly loves you? Who comes after us again and again and again? The lie says that you're not welcomed in until you prove yourself. But Jesus comes to free us from the sin that so easily entangles. Because ultimately we trust in one person's performance instead of Jesus. We rest in the finished work of the cross. Jesus who said, it is finished. Not, I've done most of it, now I need them to meet me halfway. Now, I got the ball rolling, but now you need to clean up your act. <laughs> Figure your stuff out. Perform for me to show that you're worthy. He says, It is finished. Come to Jesus. The invitation for all of us is to loosen our white knuckle grip of trying to find our identity and our purpose and our meaning in what we do. We can rest in the finished work of the cross that He finished to call us brothers and sisters so that we can be called children of God. Thanks so much for joining us. And for those of you who support our mission, thank you for your joyful generosity. It's because you give that we're able to see lives changed forever by the gospel. You can click the link in the description of this episode to give now, or go to bridge.tv for more information about our church. We believe the gospel is good news worth sharing. So if you enjoyed this podcast, Feel free to subscribe and share this episode with family and friends on social media. You can also tag us at BridgeChurchTN. Thanks again for listening.